Hey, Nick, we have some exciting news to announce regarding um, our friends over at the OBG Project. The OBG Project folks have now put all of OBG First within the OBG Resident Core. So you get OBG First for your entire OBGYN residency. How incredible is that, Faye? Yeah, that sounds really great. And just to remind you guys, the resident core over at the OBG Project is completely free. All you have to do is sign up and prove that you're a resident. And then you'll get not only OBG first, but also the OBG L&D ebook, as well as excellent curricula, as you know, as well as self-test quizzes and things like that for your studying. Yeah, that's over a $198 per year value. So if you are interested in getting this free educational resource, head over to our website, creogsovercoffee.com, check out the sidebar, get signed up for the OBG Resident Core, and by extension, OBG First, the OBG L&D ebook, all of this awesome stuff, absolutely free, four years of residency. Hi guys, welcome back. This is Nick. This is Faye. And this is Creogs Over Over Coffee. Coffee. All right. So Faye, today we've got a timely topic and we're just bringing to podcast form some of the great articles that have come out from SMFM and from the Green Journal in the last two months on what the OBGYN should know about monkeypox. So what are our learning objectives today? Yeah, so similar to how we kind of did a little COVID episode, previously we wanted to do this episode about monkeypox. So we'll understand what monkeypox is and how it's transmitted. We're going to review the clinical presentation of monkeypox so that um, the OBGYN can recognize it if it shows up in their clinic. We'll discuss the pregnancy implications of monkeypox, of course, and then also learn the preliminary steps for diagnosis and treatment as well as prevention of monkeypox. So the reading sources that we have are the SMFM statement from August 16th, which is titled Monkeypox and Pregnancy, What Maternal Fetal Medicine Subspecialists Need to Know. And also there was a great article that came out very recently from the Green Journal by Dr. Mini Delman et al. uh, called A Primer on Monkeypox Virus for OBGYNs. So let's get started, Nick. So first of all, what's monkeypox? Yeah, so I didn't know this until truly Faye did the background research for the podcast here, but apparently the WHO is actually planning to rename this virus to help reduce some stigma surrounding it, but it hasn't happened yet. But to get into the virology of this, this is an orthopox virus, a genus of the Poxviridae family, and has many features that are similar to smallpox or variola type of virus. It has a DNA genome, and then there are two different strains typically of monkeypox virus, this Congo Basin clade and the West African clade, as they're referred to. So the Congo Basin strain has historically caused more severe disease and is thought to be more transmissible overall, but the West African strain seems to be the dominant circulating strain with a case fatality ratio of about 3 to 6% historically. Monkeypox was first identified as a case in 1970 in the Democratic Republic of Congo, and the first U.S. case in this outbreak was identified on May 17th of 2022. Most recent reports from the CDC as of August 31st, just shortly after we recorded this podcast, 
stated that there were 18,989 total confirmed monkeypox cases in the United States. And to make it more personal for Faye and I, it's about 544 cases in Pennsylvania <laughs> at this point and 332 in Washington state. We're beating uh, you guys, but that's not a good thing, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> um, ultimately, there's not you know, we would like to think a bit about demographics, I guess, but there's not really complete demographics data for everyone. Um, the most recent data from mid-August in the CDC showed that only about one and a half percent of all cases to date were in women and in transgender men, and no deaths had been reported in that population. The majority of cases, as I think we know in the literature are amongst men who have sex with men. But we are starting to see, again, at least just a small proportion in patients who we would traditionally see in obstetrics and gynecology settings. With respect to transmission, a sort of the final thing that I'll talk about in the background about this virus, human-to-human -human transmission occurs from either direct contact with an infected rash, scab, or body fluid, or respiratory secretions during prolonged um, or intimate physical contact, or finally sort of fomite exposures, clothing, bedding, etc. A person with monkeypox infections is considered contagious from their initial viral prodrome and the development of the rash until their lesions have fully healed and new skin has formed over the scabs. It's unclear at this point if transmission can also occur through vaginal or seminal fluids, and that's being actively investigated. Perinatal infection, though, can occur through transplacental transmission or during close contact during and after childbirth. And then there's also concern for zoonotic transmission or human-to-animal, animal-to-human transmission following direct contact with blood or bodily fluids or the cutaneous mucosal lesions of infected animals. So that's really a lot of the background, Faye. I think what most people are going to want to know, though, from this podcast is what to look out for. Yeah, so it's uh, interesting because in this current outbreak that we're seeing, many of the initial patients in this outbreak have shown painful genital and perianal lesions, oral lesions, and proctitis in the setting of mild or even no prodromal symptoms. The usual clinical course, though, and this is what's been described in the literature, is that the average time between contact with monkeypox and symptoms is about 5 to 13 days with a range of 4 to 17 days. There's usually classic features of infection. So first, patients will have things like like fever, lymphadenopathy, malaise, headache, uh, muscle aches, etc. The rash will usually develop about one to four days after those prodromal symptoms of fever, malaise, etc. And these will lead to deep-seated vesicular or pustular lesions, often beginning centrally and then spreading to the limbs. The rash itself can usually last two to four weeks, progressing through stages including macules, papules, vesicles, pustules, and then eventually scabs and crusts. The rashes themselves also can leave scars. And we'll post some pictures on the website to show you some of what these lesions can look like. So knowing that, Nick, let's move on to what I think, you know, our OBGYN colleagues want to know, which is what are the pregnancy implications of monkeypox? Like what happens if a pregnant patient gets it? The unfortunate thing, I think, Faye, is that really not much is known at this point, or maybe that's a fortunate thing. Um, right. But we reviewed just a couple minutes ago that monkeypox virus can be transmitted to the fetus during pregnancy or to the newborn by close contact during or after birth. And there is concern that there is an increased risk of maternal mortality and morbidity documented with other pox viruses. And we don't know, though, whether that translates ultimately to monkeypox if pregnant people are more susceptible or if the disease is more severe in pregnancy. 
Um, there is a commentary that's out there that's documented five cases of perinatal outcomes, two ending in a spontaneous miscarriage, one ending in stillbirth, and one ending in preterm birth. Again, just essentially a case series there, so it's hard to know exactly like what mm -hmm. to make heads or tails of that. And I think, unfortunately, we're just still trying to learn a lot more about what the risk profile looks like for our patients. Since we don't totally know, what we do need to be able to do is to evaluate an individual with suspected monkeypox or know how to raise concern and how to actually get to a diagnosis. Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing, and I think the difference with monkeypox and COVID is that routine screening is not currently recommended for asymptomatic patients, as opposed to COVID, where we're screening everybody that comes into the hospital, even if they're asymptomatic. However, if you do have suspicion that a patient has monkeypox, then what we should do is always start with a history and physical, but you should collect specifically recent travel history, ask specifically about countries where monkeypox has been reported, if there are, is a rash or anal genital lesion, ask about close contacts or sexual exposure to someone who was diagnosed with monkeypox. You should then do a full body skin exam. That, that includes the oral mucosa, the genital and rectal areas. Also evaluate the lymph nodes to see if there's lymphadenopathy. And then, of course, you want to make sure that the patient is isolated from others. And then we should always consult our friendly neighborhood infectious disease specialist to have them also come and take a look um, to make that diagnosis. While I think we as OBGYNs may not necessarily be doing the diagnosing on our own, um, it's important to know how to diagnose monkeypox. So really, it's a two-step process that requires initial identification of an orthopox virus. So then if the orthopox virus is confirmed, the specimens are then sent for monkeypox virus-specific testing. So basically, multiple samples should be collected, and that would be from different lesions ideally, two to three from different areas of the body with different appearances for PCR testing. So that's number one. And overall, you really should follow your own hospital's guidelines on how to obtain these samples and what vials to put these samples in. Right now, after that initial PCR testing of identification of orthopox virus, because there aren't really any other orthopox viruses in the U.S., like smallpox, for example, we don't necessarily need to wait for the confirmatory testing before initiating infection control procedures and preventative strategies and treatment. It's also important to realize that as healthcare providers, we need to follow standard precautions and wear PPE, so like gowns, gloves, eye protection, and also an N95 mask. Any procedure where there's aerosolization, so for example, intubation or extubation, should be done in an airborne infection isolation room if possible. So um, like we kind of said, Nick, we're not necessarily diagnosing these on our own as OBGYNs. We're probably consulting our ID specialists. But what should we know about treating monkeypox? And again, we're probably not doing most of the treatment, but I think it's important for us to understand. Yeah, I totally agree, Faye. You know, the good news, I think, again, is that the disease is ultimately usually self-limited. But for some folks, the disease can progress to a more severe manifestation, and there are certain populations that are at risk of severe disease. Um, again, given overall the sort of lack of data, this does include, we think, pregnant patients, folks who are breastfeeding, and those who have oral, ocular, genital, or anal lesions. There is no specific treatment, ultimately, for a monkeypox virus infection, but there are two antivirals and an immune globulin that are available to assist in treatment. We'll go through those now. So the first that you probably have heard of if you've been watching or listening to the news is one called Ticaviramat, or TPOX is the brand name. 
This is an antiviral that's limited to kind of health department use under a CDC expanded access protocol. Um, it's approved by the FDA actually for the treatment of smallpox virus infection, and it's thought it may prove beneficial for monkeypox infection as well. It's available both in oral and IV formulations and works by blocking cellular transmission of the virus. Um, both the oral and IV forms have been used to treat patients during this current outbreak in the United States. Um, unfortunately, there's not human data that's available during pregnancy, but no fetal toxic effects were observed in mouse studies using the oral medication. Um, and likewise, there's no data surrounding if the drug is present in breast milk. So evolving science there. The next antiviral that uh, we're seeing is one called Sidafavir. Um, it's being used in off-label sense, so we'll just be very specific about that, that this is an off-label use, and it's available for use in outbreak settings, essentially. It's approved actually by the FDA for treatment of cytomegalovirus retinitis in patients who have AIDS. Again, can be used for orthopox viruses in the context of an outbreak like this. In animal studies, sidafavir has been associated with embryotoxicity and teratogenicity, but there are no adequate or well-controlled studies in humans. So um, unfortunately, again, no human data there, but some concern from animal studies. Then the last antiviral that I'll talk about, though, is not one that you'll probably see, is called brinsidafavir. Um, this has availability that's limited just to the strategic national stockpile distribution. Uh, it likewise is approved by the FDA to treat smallpox. Um, unfortunately, in animal studies, there have been real embryo-fetal toxicity demonstrated along with structural malformations, so this is not one that we would generally consider in pregnancy. So there's also a pox-specific IV immune globulin that's available in this outbreak setting. Again, there's no human data or animal data in pregnancy, so it's one that we're sort of flying blind on. Um, though some folks are using that just in the context of the fact that there are good data for other types of immune globulin in pregnancy. Um, all right, but Faye, a ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, I think the old <laughs> adage goes. And so how can we talk to our patients about preventing monkeypox infection in the first place? Yeah, so primary prevention is definitely what we want to aim for. So primary prevention is basically isolating from individuals with the infection. And so avoiding close contact and sexual activity with people with the infection is number one if you're able to do that, right? So following all the general rules that we have been following for COVID, so masking, washing your hands, etc. So that's number one. Fortunately, if you have been exposed, there are things like post-exposure prophylaxis. Um, and so the CDC currently has tools to assess the risk of monkeypox virus infection and recommends post-exposure vaccination for specific risk exposures or risk factors. So not everybody is going to fall into the category of being able to get uh, post-exposure prophylaxis. So those criteria include being within four days of known exposure to reduce likelihood of infection or between four to 14 days to reduce severity of symptoms. Um, you have to have a known contact uh, of somebody with monkeypox that's ID'd by the public health via a case investigation or the presumed contacts who meet the criteria of know that known sexual partner in the past 14 days that was diagnosed with monkeypox or had multiple sexual partners in the past 14 days in a jurisdiction with known monkeypox. So basically having to fill out all those criteria in order to get this post-exposure prophylaxis. 
So if given within four days of exposure, the monkeypox vaccine is likely to prevent monkeypox virus infection. So there are two types of vaccines, one of which you've probably heard about in the news. Um, to be truthful, I don't actually know how to pronounce this, so I, I think it's Gineos. It's spelled J-Y-N-N-E-O-S. This is a live, non-replicated viral vaccine. So unfortunately, there are no studies in pregnant patients, but um, this vaccine is not a contraindication in pregnancy um, as post-exposure prophylaxis if that individual is otherwise eligible. So you should give this vaccine to your patients. Unfortunately, we just don't have good data. The next is an, the ACAM 2000 vaccine. And this is a replicating viral vaccine licensed for the prevention of smallpox. And this is contraindicated in pregnancy or breastfeeding people due to the risk of pregnancy loss, congenital defects, and also um, of just getting vaccinia virus infection because, again, it's a replicating viral vaccine. The last thing is, you know, we can think about pre-exposure prophylaxis. So this is an attenuated live virus vaccine um, and replication competent vaccines that are both available. Um, these are really only available for those whose jobs really expose them to monkeypox in a high-risk setting. So the routine immunization of all health care workers is not currently recommended. So really, it's only for people who are lab personnel who are directly working with monkeypox, healthcare workers who administer a replication-competent vaccine, a virus vaccine, or if it's somebody who you anticipate is going to care for many patients with monkeypox. All right, Nick, so that is pretty much what we know right now about monkeypox in the pregnant population or breastfeeding population, which unfortunately is not very much. Um, so why don't we go ahead and summarize? Yeah. So just again, we started off by talking about monkeypox name change TBA um, is an orthopox virus and has a lot of features similar to smallpox or variola. There are two predominant strains, a Congo basin strain and a West African strain. While the West African seems to be more dominant, the Congo basin strain has historically caused more severe disease. Um, the first case in this current outbreak was diagnosed in May of 2022. And as of this recording, the most recent date being August 31st, there have been just shy of 19,000 cases in the United States. Human-to-human -human transmission can occur, can occur with direct contact with a rash, scab, or body fluid, respiratory secretions during prolonged or intimate physical contact, or contact with fomites. Um, and people are considered contagious for a long time, from their initial viral prodome until those lesions have fully healed and new skin is formed over. Perinatal infection and neonatal infection can occur, and zoonotic infection is also possible. In terms of clinical presentation, the current outbreak has been a little bit different because many patients have presented with things like painful genital and perianal lesions, as well as oral lesions and proctitis. Usually, the clinical course follows a, a prodrome, uh, which usually occurs 5 to 13 days after contact with monkeypox. Um, this includes things like fever, lymphadenopathy, malaise, etc. The rash will then occur 1 to 4 days after these prodromal symptoms and can last 2 to 4 weeks, and they go through multiple stages of macules, papules, vesicles, pustules, and then scabs. Unfortunately, pregnancy implications are not very well known. There's really only one case series that has looked at five cases of documented perinatal outcomes um, that overall were not great. Two miscarriages, one stillbirth, and one preterm birth. Um, but data will be forthcoming about that. 
Routine screening is not recommended for asymptomatic patients of monkeypox. However, if you're suspicious that a patient may have it, then you should collect a thorough history, including travel history, as well as do a full body skin exam and also consult your infectious disease colleagues. The diagnosis itself requires swabbing multiple lesions and sending for a two-step process testing that will initially identify an orthopox virus and then confirm that the orthopox virus is monkeypox. However, because currently there are not other orthopox viruses in the United States, we don't necessarily need to wait for that confirmatory testing before initiating infection control procedures and preventative strategies and treatment. Remember, as a healthcare provider, you should always care for yourself first, and that includes things like standard precautions and wearing PPE, and also realizing that with any procedure that requires aerosolization, they should be done in an airborne infection isolation room. Fortunately, monkeypox is self-limited for the most part, but the disease can become severe. Um, pregnant and breastfeeding folks are included in that risk of progression to severe disease. There's unfortunately no specific treatment for monkeypox virus infections. There are a couple of antivirals and immune globulin that are available. Um, we talked through a few. The, probably the one that you would encounter if you do treat or encounter a patient with monkeypox would be T-pox, which is available both oral and IV formulations. There's no human data available during pregnancy, but no fetal toxic effects observed in mouse studies, and it's not known if T-pox is present in breast milk. Sidafavir is an antiviral that is being used off-label as well and is approved by the FDA for treatment of CMV retinitis in patients with HIV-AIDS. Um, it can be used for orthopox virus in an outbreak setting like this. It has been associated with embryotoxicity and teratogenicity in animal studies, but there are no good human studies. The other one that you probably won't hear about is brinsidofavir, um, as there is documented teratogenicity, and then immune globulin specific for monkeypox is available in this outbreak, but there's no human or animal data available. Primary prevention is key, so trying to avoid coming into contact with people who have monkeypox. However, if there is exposure, there is post-exposure prophylaxis. You do have to meet very specific criteria per the CDC in order to receive post-exposure prophylaxis, however. These include two types of vaccines. The first is the Genios vaccine, which is approved for pregnant patients if they need it. And the next is the ACAM 2000 vaccine, which unfortunately is a replicating viral vaccine. It's, it's usually used for the prevention of smallpox and should not be used in pregnant patients. Those who would come into routine uh, exposure with monkeypox, so for example, lab personnel, healthcare providers who provide the replication-competent vaccinia virus vaccine, or those who anticipate caring for many patients with monkeypox, can obtain pre-exposure prophylaxis, but currently routine immunization of all healthcare workers is not recommended. All right. Well, I think that does it for today. So once again, this is Nick. This is Faye. And this has been Creogs Over Coffee. So guys, if you enjoyed this episode or any of our other episodes, go ahead and go into your favorite podcatcher on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. Give us a five-star rating and review. You can find us online on Twitter at CreogsOverCoff1, on Instagram and Facebook at CreogsOverCoffee, or if you love the show want to support us, head over to patreon.com slash CreogsOverCoffee. Send us some love and we'll send you some swag. You can find show notes for this show and all of our other episodes, as well as the Rosh Review Question of the Week on our website at www.creogsovercoffee.com. If you have a correction to this or any of our prior episodes, a suggestion for a future episode, or just want to say hi, email us, creogsovercoffee at gmail.com. Mm-hmm.